I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a quick intro about BATH and BATH events. Um, I'm Noor. I'm project manager at Blockchain Acceleration Foundation. Uh, and this event is co-organized by BATH and Blockchain at San Diego. Uh, a quick uh, context about our NGO. We are a 501c3 nonprofit that starts university-accredited blockchain courses. We build projects. We connect our members to opportunity industry. And we are actually governed by the leaders of our affiliated university blockchain clubs, like Blockchain at San Diego. Uh, we're very thankful for the support that we keep getting from our sponsors who made all of this work possible. BAF is actually funded by Algorand Foundation, Protocol Labs, Ethereum Foundation, and other incredible individual sponsors. We're super happy to co-organize this week's event with the leadership team at UC San Diego. Today we have Pan, who is the president of, block of the Blockchain Club at San Diego. And uh, we're excited to uh, dive into the future of DeFi and DAOs with our speaker, Zefram, who is founder of 88MPH, which is a non-custodial fixed uh, yield rate protocol. Uh, so thank you, Zafram, for joining us today. Uh, also, special thanks for our content team led by Alexis, who couldn't make it today. But Alexis put a lot of hard work in promoting this event. So thanks to the content and marketing team of uh, BAF. Anyways, without further ado, I'm going to leave the floor to Pan, who is the president of Blockchain at San Diego. He's going to be moderating this event. And I'm going to leave the floor to Pan and Zafram. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you, first of all, to Zephram for taking the time out of his day to chat with us today. Um, but um, I'll just give a little intro about uh, BASED. So my name is Pun. I'm from Blockchain San Diego. Uh, BASED is a student organization, Blockchain San Diego, that is aimed at uh, educating students about Web3 and crypto, facilitating building crypto and blockchain projects, um, and then also connecting students with potential job opportunities in the space. So we're super excited today to talk to Fine Dows, who is um, actually a UCSD alum um, himself, and he's been building really, really cool projects, um, like a DeFi protocol called uh, 88 miles per hour, uh, Pseudoswap and AstroDrop. So welcome, Zephram. Um, hope you're having a good day. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh... Yeah, and one one correction, I'm still at UCSD, actually. Oh, you're still at UCSD. Awesome. Yeah, that's dope. Are you still doing your master's? Yeah, yeah. I'm graduating in uh, December, so very soon. Oh, sweet. So you, yeah, graduating early then. Yeah, yeah. So from your, your, your real name? Um, That's... um. Yes and no. Like, it's not my legal name per se, but I do use it with my uh, IRL friends. Oh, that's awesome. When did it start catching on? Uh, like, right about when I started college. Oh, that's that's sweet. That's super cool. Yeah, I guess um, for those that don't know Zephram, um, he is a uh, he or he's a master student, and he's been building in crypto for for quite a long time, and he has quite a long background in crypto. So I guess um, to kick it off, uh, could you tell everyone a little background about yourself um, and kind of your journey at UCSD? Because there's definitely some uh, tritons here today, and how you really go into crypto. Uh, yeah. So I, I came to UCSD in 2017 as a freshman and I, I was in crypto like a few months before that. So right but like at, like at the point when I came to UCSD, uh, I was already like very deep to Ethereum. So <laughs> my time at UCSD has mostly been used on just building building decentralized apps on ethereum oh that's awesome so did you like get into it in high school like how did you find out about it at, at the start yeah like it, it was like senior year of high school just kind of stumbled upon it 
and like I first learned about Bitcoin and like right after that I learned about Ethereum and I was like hey this is so much cooler so that so I just jumped straight into like uh, Solidity because like that like that was something that I could do you, you know like raise smart contracts whereas with Bitcoin you just kind of hold it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you were like developing or were you developing like like doing web dev or anything like that before you found Ethereum or did you start like doing smart contract work as your first foray into programming? Uh, I mean, I, I started programming when I was in middle school. Like uh, I was wow. doing like iOS apps back then. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so definitely you you were able to jump into it pretty fast then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. And I also, so, you know, study uh, CS, uh, computer science at UCSD. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you decide to do, like, grad school? Was that something that you planned ahead of time? Or did you kind of, like, just do that out of the blue? Uh, yeah, that was kind of just planned but it was planned before like anything i did in crypto became successful uh so like i don't i don't feel that strongly about like doing grad school to be honest <laughs> yeah and i i guess you're breezing through because yeah you're, you're graduating pretty early for um yeah for the normal track yeah yeah so i guess we can go on to um like more crypto related discussion uh i guess a lot of people in in ucsd right now uh including a lot of my colleagues and ncs as well they're recruiting for like internships and uh, like full-time jobs for like software engineering and i guess the big focus here at ucsd or i guess in computer science program is to try and get into like the big tech companies like fang all, all the silicon valley companies uh, why did you kind of decide to stick to crypto or or like decide to go in crypto um, rather than you know going to like the standard path of uh recruitment yeah um uh I guess like I've always just wanted to do my own thing and you know build build a startup build my own product instead of like working for someone else uh I mean I I did try to go through like the big tech route uh like in freshman year like with all the internships and all that but that was like um it wasn't really that interesting to me like when they, you know, pitch what they're doing at the big tech companies. If I looked at non-crypto startups, it was like even less interesting. It's like, it's like, do I really want to spend my time optimizing like food delivery or something? It was like, eh. Yes. Yeah, I totally, totally feel that. And yeah. I guess that's why sir, I kind of here um, today. So I guess you've been talking a little bit about like building your own project, like doing your own thing. And um, I know because I've been like a fan of you for, for a minute now. Uh, saw all the things that you're building and, and think they're like super cool projects. Uh, could you introduce to people who don't really know um, what you're doing, like what you're actually building out? Uh, maybe you can start with like, I guess, I'm not sure if you would consider this the most successful, but um, from from my eyes, eighty eight miles per hour was was currently your most successful project. Yeah, it is. Um, so eighty MPH is uh, a fixed interest rate protocol on Ethereum, essentially. So what we do is we 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 integrate with uh, floating yield protocols like. Uh, compound of a wire and etc and we do a bit of um a uh, bit of you know math and accounting on our side to 
provide our users with a fixed rate instead of a floating rate. Right, right. So um, could you kind of explain what the, I guess, like the big differences are for fixed rate and floating rate? Maybe not just the definition, but um, like kind of how you how you achieve that. Uh, yeah, so like we achieve a fixed rate by basically pulling users' deposits together and balancing out the different uh, different interest rates that we promise them and the different interest rate that they can get uh, based on like like the time of deposit. So for instance, like if you know someone makes a deposit right now and the floating rate is like 10%, we can offer them like say five percent, uh, and uh, say a month later the floating rate dropped to like five percent, and another person comes and wants to deposit their money, uh, so we can offer them you know two two and a half percent, and uh, these two deposits can basically like balance each other out uh, with you know one deposits uh, having a more floating rate interest than the promised fixed rate and the other uh, having the opposite. And one way uh, that one method that we use to uh, guarantee a fixed rate, uh, the other is uh, we also just tokenize uh, the floating rate yield of a deposit such that anyone can uh, come and uh, buy buy out the interest stream up front such that like it, this deposit is guaranteed to you know earn this much interest and whoever bought the interest stream will receive all of the floating rate uh, interest generated by this deposit right yeah um that definitely makes sense uh i guess like piggybacking off that could you kind of explain on what you um, or kind of elaborate on like what you envision being like the future of DeFi going forward. I heard you mentioned um, like tokenizing future yield. Um, do you think that's like the way or the, the, um, the direction that uh, DeFi is going next or do you have other, other ideas? Um, yeah, like first of all, like no one really knows anything in crypto so do take my words with a grain of salt. Uh, but like, the future of DeFi is not necessarily like any area in particular, uh, but it's more of like uh, a pattern of how DeFi projects will operate. I think like, like so far we've seen, you know, many DeFi projects uh, just grow their governance. Uh, yeah, like having their token holder governance uh, built out uh, and like token holders make decisions on their treasury. Uh, that's one pattern. And I think in the future, uh, at least in the next couple years, the, the pattern will kind of shift to something like, uh, like one, like people are going to discover that having, having more, centralized governance models is going to be like more acceptable like if you look at like projects like uh like uh spell for instance spell mim uh that is like incredibly centralized but people are still okay with it because of the utility that it can provide to users um so that's probably one trend like people are going to figure out that oh like the DeFi users don't care that much about decentralization at least like a lot of like a lot of new users that are going to come they only care about like what what kind of you know uh rewards that they can get uh, what kind of yield they can get and the whole user experience so that's one thing that's one trend that I think will happen. The other is that um, I think DeFi projects will start to try and build a more uh, like comprehensive 
brand like first first of all i think like i want to make the prediction that like all like bait well not all but like the vast majority of DeFi projects in the next couple years will have like an nft projects that's like directly associated with the project and will be used for you know branding and such you know kind of like the, the mascot of development because like like the reason i think this will happen is that one like nfts can really like help capture uh the like the perceived subjective value of the protocol uh that's uh that's uh currently just being uh currently uh projecting to build up their subjective value using memes and such but i think nfts will help attract the subjective like increase the perceived value of these projects uh, because of how easy it will be to uh, to promote the projects, to you know explain it to people, like like it's it's like a hundred times easier to explain to someone like what and to show someone an NFT of your project than to explain like oh like I'm doing this is it you know this this weird finance thing you know. Um, yeah. That totally makes a lot yeah. of sense. I I saw your yeah your post about your blog post mm-hmm. about the subjective objective value too, and I think that's super um, super insightful. Do you have any i or do you have like any examples of like a protocol right now that is already doing that, or do you think it's it's still like in the very baby stages? Uh, there are definitely projects like DeFi projects that are releasing an NFT at the same time and promoting it a lot. Uh, so like just like, I think like Tempus is a project that like, it's like a new project that I just randomly saw and they have like just a bunch of profile pictures immediately like, uh, available at launch uh there's also babylon.finance which is a more involved example like they're giving like uh fee sharing and governance power uh and like a whole bunch of to the nfts that they're currently uh auctioning off uh so it's definitely like an existing thing uh, but right now, like the the bigger projects, like um, you know, Compound Ave, Rari, they don't really have their own like NFT offerings. Uh, I guess like Sushi is like like they don't have Sushi NFTs per se. Like they're building out like NFT uh, like uh, platforms, like Show You, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, like existing trend, I expected to be much more uh, prevalent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess backtracking to like more like principle or like fundamental understanding of why like a project might issue like an NFT um, or a, or a token. Like, could you kind of explain the the purpose of uh, like tokens of, of DeFi projects, I guess it includes like some basic things like governance and stuff, but um, is there any additional like value accrual mechanism for, for tokens in general? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, this is a much more complicated topic than one might think uh, because like, if you look at, for instance, the Uniswap token, right? It, doesn't really have any utility or value accrual but it's still worth a whole ton just because it's you know the the main token of uniswap and uniswap is a product that you know basically everyone in the space values so yeah like it's it's less appropriate to think about these uh uh, DeFi tokens as, you know, say, 
shares in a company uh, than to think about them as just kind of horses in a race, basically. Like, like if you like, you know, a horse, you would just back it in the race, regardless of, like, its objective properties. Uh, so, like, Uniswap is, you know, a big example. <laughs> well, it's, it's literally a unicorn. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, value accrual in this space, like, to your token in this space, like, doesn't really matter that much in terms of how it affects the price. In fact, like it, it might be more advantageous for a token to not have any like actual value accrual mechanisms at all, like Uniswap, compared to one where you know you you diligently uh, dish out you know any the income your protocol has to all the token holders because like if you have income like it's like the famous uh silicon valley uh the show scene where like if you have income profit then they're gonna ask how much and it's never gonna be enough yeah that that makes that makes total sense so i guess by the same token like what is the purpose slash um intention of having the mph token for the 88 protocol yeah uh despite what i just said mph actually has like all the protocol fees accruing to the token holders (laughs) so yeah like (laughs) might have served us better if it was just a complete meme to make uniswap (laughs) uh in retrospect um but yeah like mph is also like the protocol governance to so like uh we have focused uh less on governance so far just to get like the product that we want to offer built out uh but like uh, like uh right now we're doing a whole bunch of multi-chain deployment stuff uh after that is done uh we expect to like uh, shift gears into growing the governance and yeah like making it like much more like you know uh you know like a, a compound ave etc with an active governance uh community yeah yeah so i guess by deploying to multiple chains you're subscribing to to the um the i guess like now widely accepted uh outlook that there's going to be like a multi-chain future um and a lot of users will be will be spread among among them yeah um i think that's going to be a recurring pattern like right now there's already tons of projects that are doing it sushi being one prominent example uh the reason for this is that like if you have a very successful product on one and you you don't, you know, bridge it, you know, redeploy it on other chains, then someone's just going to fork it, deploy it, and, you know, they're most likely going to launch their own token that's going to suck away, like, all the values that, you know, you had on that other chain. Like, I think, like, Uniswap is like one example of i guess how not to do this i mean i don't want to like uh, bash on them because like i understand why they're not doing multi-chain like they're really focused on you know a roll-up central future which i respect but like from like but also like just from observations like you have like for instance quick swap right quick swap is just a straight up Uniswap fork on Polygon, and like it's it's exactly the same. Like if you look at the other product offering, uh, but like they're worth. Uh, I have no idea how much they're worth right now, but <laughs> let me just quickly check. Uh, yeah, their market cap is a hundred and thirty-five million, and yeah, that's. A lot of money that uh, could have been Uniswaps. 
So, yeah, like it just like if you have a valuable service, it makes sense to offer it to you know all the chains where you might have users. Right, right. I guess this is kind of uh, sidetracking from the DeFi DAO discussion a little bit, but um, could you explain a little bit more on on like I guess why you respect the decision of Uniswap uh, focusing like on more like rollup centric um like scaling solutions yeah because like with uh with most of the side chains of ethereum and like just uh, evm compatible chains um they're really like the the reason that they're cheap is either like the reason that transactions on those chains are much cheaper than on ethereum is either through uh, just uh, much more a more centralized infrastructure, like and that's like that's what Polygon I think is doing. That's what <laughs> uh, the Binance Smart Chain is like one big <laughs> example of a very very centralized chain, um, and like that's like a trade off that they're making. And it's, you know, very understandable why, you know, a project might not want to be associated with, you know, Binance Smart Chain, for example, just because of how centralized it is and, like, how, like, I guess, unsustainable their their chain scaling model is compared to, like, like, Ethereum. Like, what they've done is, like, they've just tweaked a bunch of parameters to make it more centralized. Uh... And yeah, like can definitely understand why a project won't want to deploy on those chains. Um, there's also like just chains with completely different architectures, uh, like uh, Avalanche and Phantom. Uh, they this is um, well, like yeah, I guess like the reasoning behind why you might not want to deploy on those chains is that. They're like Ethereum has been here since you know 2014, and the way like it's a chain with you know the most uh, users, uh, the most activity, and the longest history of you know being run successfully. And it's also like very obvious, you know, uh, where its scaling woes are and how it plans to scale in the in the near term future. Whereas for these chains, like right now, they are cheap, but they also have far fewer users and far less activity. So it's unclear uh, that like their their new chain models are going to provide them with you know a significant scaling advantage compared to Ethereum once they actually have similar levels of activity. Uh, whereas for Ethereum, like they have, as I said, a very clear uh, agenda for how they plan to scale, and that's with rollups. And it's it's like co- very commonly agreed upon that rollups are gonna provide a a much much like a really large scaling boost uh, without uh, sacrificing too much in terms of decentralization and security. So, like, I can definitely understand why Uniswap only wants to deploy on rollups because, you know, like, if you're Uniswap, like, you might think that, oh, like, all these alt chains are kind of just a fad. And once, you know, they, their activity uh, pick, picks up, uh, they're going to be, you know, just as bad in terms of uh, gas price as ethereum so why would you bother with that when you can when you know rollups are already uh, very much here with arbitrum and a lot more are coming like uh, zk sync uh and optimism yeah um yeah that makes that makes total sense um i actually just saw that tweet that um i think owen like retweeted one of your old tweets today about zk sync um did you like kind of see this coming from like a mile away, like did you see? I guess did you expect like rollups to come come as quickly as they did, or was it? I mean, was it like expected? Um, it wasn't 
really that expected. Like with ZK Sync, back when I first learned about it, uh, like more than a year ago now, it was just for transfers, which was interesting. Like cheap transfers are good, but they like they're like they didn't really have smart contracts in their mainnet. I think they have support on their testnet, but uh, yeah, like. ZK Sync was, I think, much less interesting back then, uh, and everyone was saying that oh, like ZK, like ZK rollups are not gonna have full EVM support uh, until like much, much later down the road. Every pitching was uh, optimistic rollups, uh, and it turned out that um, optimistic rollups uh, was. Like, like, so there were kind of two surprises. One is that optimistic rollups took much more time and effort to launch than what everyone expected. Like, the, the tech for, like, the basic idea for optimistic rollups was, uh, like, much simpler compared to uh, zero-knowledge uh, rollups. Uh, which involved a, a whole ton of uh, cryptography. Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, Arbitrum was, like, I think Optimism was supposed to launch, like, this May, if I recall correctly. And right now, like, I have no idea when they're ever going to, like, launch a completely, like, permissionless mainnet with you know fraud proof enabled like <laughs> right now like the uh optimi optimisms mean it doesn't even have fraud proofs uh enabled which is like the one thing that's like that's like really vital to a roll-up like you you should be able to uh prove that the uh that the central uh central node is uh misbehaving if it is actually misbehaving and, you know, get your money back. But that's not actually... Uh, but I, I digress. Uh, the the other surprise is that um, uh, ZK... Like, implementing a ZK rollup uh, that has full EVM support is, like, took much less time than what everyone expected. Like, uh, mostly thanks to ZK Sync. Uh like, yeah, yeah, like I think like everyone expected like it's gonna come out in five years or something. So optimistic rollups were like kind of a stopgap, uh, but but yeah, like now that zk thing is probably gonna launch their zk EVM, like uh, I don't know, like probably early next year. Like it, yeah, like uh, I'm. Yeah, like I'm very, I guess, optimistic about their. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's super exciting, and I, I guess I also didn't really see it coming that fast, uh, given a lot of people or general consensus was that DK was was years away. Um, but I guess, like with all the scaling solutions, um, do you see that being or like ZK or one of these scaling solutions um, on? For Ethereum, like the rollups, um, to be like a catalyst for the next wave of DeFi usage or DeFi like like uptick in DeFi users. Um, I mean, that that really depends on like what your thesis is, right? Like, if your thesis is that oh, like DeFi usage like is going to pick up, and you know. Mm, many more people are going to enter the DeFi space as users uh, if the fees were just, you know, much lower. Uh, but that's already, like, being tested by the, you know, the side chains, and it would seem that this thesis is correct. Like, if you have lower fees, you're going to have, mu like, much more usage uh, from those, like, the smaller users, you know, like like not everyone has, you know, millions of dollars in crypto. Uh, so, yeah, like most of the new users are going to have, you know, something around, you know, uh, a few hundred or maybe a few thousand dollars. 
and it doesn't really make sense for them to use ethereum at all actually because like you know a single train will cost you like over a hundred dollars uh so yeah like with roll-ups um i think i think like the story is not as like just uh cut and dry as what you know, Uniswap and other like roll up maximalists might expect. Because, like, if you think about it, uh, like a roll up to a user is just another chain, right? To them, like, oh, like there's, you know, different, there's, uh, you know, Polygon, there's Phantom, there's Avalanche, but there's also, you know, Arbitrum and ZK Sync and Optimism. You know, these are just, these are going to be viewed as mostly the same by most regular users i think like I, I i don't think like you know your mom and dad are gonna care about oh like, <laughs> zk think is you know a zero knowledge proof based that would be awesome whereas, uh, you know binance smart chain is like this other thing uh they're not gonna care they're only gonna care about you know how 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 much are your fees you know how quick are your transactions you know what's the performance of your game uh the second thing they're going to care about is oh like what products are there on this chain that i can use uh so if you think about it using this framework like it's much less clear that um, roll-ups are going to actually win the day uh because like right now with arbitrum uh their fees are like still a lot higher than some of the side chains that are you know slightly more centralized uh and like there's also like not that much uh like activity uh on arbitrum compared to you know say phantom uh, avalanche polygon even binance smart chain uh so yeah like the rollups definitely have better technology, better security, and you know just better scalability overall. Uh, but yeah. at least like in the beginning, like they need to compare like on a relatively fair playing ground uh, with the other chains in terms of attracting users, attracting projects, attracting TVL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you don't you don't exactly see like some of these rollups raising massive like developer funds or like funding, um, I guess development on their on their rollup. Well, um, if Arbitrum is coming up with a token, <laughs> oh, <laughs> then we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see, days. we'll see. But like, yeah. yeah, like fairly like it's not yeah like it's not like once rollups all come once the rollups all are all you know uh, out and mature like i don't think it's like like i think there's still gonna be like multiple side chains that are competing with the roll-ups mm-hmm. uh i guess like once uh crypto usage and DeFi usage reaches like a point where like you really really care about scalability because you know all these other chains uh they're hitting their scaling bottlenecks just like you know ethereum and they're gonna have like super expensive fees whereas uh roll roll-ups uh are, st- are still gonna remain cheap because of how much more scalable they are uh then like roll-ups are gonna win but only because they can offer you know faster transactions and cheaper fees like yeah. security, like security is something that, you know, us nerds care about, but not really something that like regular users are going to care about that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess we we can start moving on to um, talking about DAOs now. Um, I saw uh, that you were quite involved in a few DAOs. Um, could you kind of just explain for those that don't know, like, what a DAO is, uh, very simply, and uh, why are they important? Uh, but then also, uh, like, explain a little bit about your experience with with each DAO you're working with. 
Um, yeah, so DAO is short for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and it's, um, it's still pretty hard to characterize exactly what they are, uh, because in my opinion, DAOs are still in very much their early days compared to, you know, uh, how deep, how much DeFi has grown, uh, like, you could say that, um, you know, the governance of uh, DeFi protocols like, you know, Aave, Compound, Wire, and etc. are like DAOs. Uh, but that's like, but like each of those protocols have, you know, their own like core team behind. And some of them even, you know, have, you know, uh, companies uh, like in legal sense. Uh, and it's, you know, like, like, they, like a lot of them aren't really decentralized or autonomous. They're just organizations. So just because you use a token to vote on things doesn't mean it's, it's a DAO. Uh, and um, so, like, yeah, like protocol governance uh, are one area where we're seeing, like, voting and sometimes DAOs. Uh, there's also like just DAOs for kind of the sake of DAOs. So that's like, that's what you see with stuff like uh, Moloch DAO, Meta Cartel, and, uh, and these DAOs, they're just kind of like friend groups with a shared bank account, basically. Uh yeah, that's that's basically what they are. Like, you just have a bunch of people who, you know, probably know each other, and you just come together into this more formal uh, organization, and you can put your money together to, you know, uh, to fund things or just to you know, give donations or whatever it is you want, really. Like, for instance, like... Um, uh, yeah, like Meta Cartel, like, uh, like spawn out Meta Cartel Ventures, and that's just like a complete, like, a fully, like, VC DAO, basically. Uh, Meta Cartel today is still, like, just, uh, giving grants to projects or doing cool things. Um, so yeah, this is one other usage of DAOs. Uh, then you have, like, uh, then you have like other like community DAOs that are, um, uh, yeah, like it, it's it's much harder to call them DAOs, even though many of them have DAOs in their name. For instance, uh, Olympus DAO, uh, and you know all the all the only have they usually have DAOs in their name. Uh, those are not really. DAOs in like the traditional sense, like you do, you're not going to have like on-chain voting with any of them. Uh, a lot of them are just kind of controlled by a multi-sig that responds to decisions made uh, using, let's say, snapshot voting. Uh, and yeah, like these are more mu just basically Discord servers. Yeah, like they're basically just Discord servers, uh, and the, the, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but definitely different from the traditional, like definition of DAOs. Like they are, I guess, decent. Uh, yeah, like I'm not really sure if I can call them autonomous. Uh, yeah. but then again, like I think these DAOs are like. Yeah, like these DAOs, these community DAOs are what's, I guess, seeing the most traction right now. Like if you look at, you know, all the various OM forks and Olympus DAO itself, like there's a ton, a ton of activity, uh, people trying to contribute. Uh, and that's not really something seen in like either, you know, protocol governance DAOs uh, or just, you know, uh, friend group kind of DAOs. And I think it's like it's very interesting to see, uh, because it goes to show that like like 
a few years back, like everyone was, you know, saying that, oh, like to have a DAO, you just need, you know, some on-chain voting, some, you know, shared bank accounts, uh, this and that. Uh, but it turns out that those are really secondary to the human factor. Like if you can spin up a, like a vibrant community of people just trying to do things to contribute to a shared vision, a shared goal, uh, then it doesn't matter at all what tools you use or if you, you know, have an actual like on-chain presence, like an on-chain entity at all. Like, like I guess like any group of people uh, can be called like a DAO in this sense. Yeah. So um, you are involved in a couple of DAOs. Um, could you kind of explain what you do there, um, what membership entails? Um, uh, to, to be honest, you're asking the wrong member of those DAOs because uh, uh, I don't participate that much in the day-to-day. Like, I do, like, go to, like, IRL events if they happen. Like, back in September, I went to AmCon, which was organized by Meta Cartel. Uh, and uh, I think Ray Gill too, and that was you know very cool. Got to meet all the all the people uh, in the house. Uh, but yeah, like <laughs> like yeah, I don't I don't really like vote a lot, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, just because yeah. like how much effort it takes, as well as you know like I trust you know most of the people in those styles to make a good decision. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, so I guess a really unrelated question to to anything, but um, like we were talking about, like how like moms and dads are, you know, not gonna really care about what like different chains and whatnot if they're if they actually get on board to DeFi. Um, that's a pretty big if. Uh, does do your parents know about like your your ventures in, in crypto and like the projects that you built out? Uh yeah yeah I do tell them about it. They don't you know completely understand what it is I'm doing, but they're definitely very supportive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that must be that must be awesome, but really hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they themselves are not really in crypto though. Like I just hand. Like, I'm just the crypto person in the family, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm just going to go on to, to like one or two miscellaneous questions um, unrelated to DeFi and DAOs. And then we can open the floor up for, for the audience to ask a question if they, if they please. Uh, so I guess this is like a more project related slash dev related question. Um, how did you like think of the idea of 88 MPH and how did you go from like that idea to, to what it is today or like even 88 MPH V1? Um, well, like, like the, the idea came to us in like late 2019. Uh, like, like, I came up with the original idea, like, I just thought, like, because, like, Compound was a hot thing uh, back then. Uh, it, like, they, they just launched their V2 recently, so I was like, hmm, like, with this, uh, with this Compound thing, I could, uh, like, do some, uh, like, interest rate swap uh, pretty, like, somewhat uh, easily. Uh, but then, like, back then, like, I what I thought of was, uh, like, just peer-to-peer interest swaps, which was not interesting because, like, in crypto, you, re- you really don't want, like, peer-to-peer models. You want peer-to-contract models, uh, like, you know, Compound, Uniswap, etc. Uh, so, like, I just kind of uh, abandoned the idea. But then in early 2020... Like, I then thought, oh, like, what if, like, we just pull all the deposits together and, you know, offer them, like, some fixed rates, 
uh, and that turned out to be the model that we're using today. Uh, so yeah, like we we first just launched like a very like a proof of concept on mainnet uh, that that didn't have like yield tokenization or anything or you know even a token. Uh, it was just like uh, like allowed people to pull their deposits together. Uh, and then, like, they can get a fixed rate. Uh, but then, like, that wasn't really successful. And, like, we knew that if we only relied on, uh, on like, this polling model, it wasn't going to be sustainable because of, you know, how, like, it's not really, uh, yeah, it can't really handle a black swan event where, you know, all the interest rates just drop to, you know, straight to zero or something. Uh, so we spent, you know, a whole, like, a whole bunch of time in, like, improving the contracts and uh, adding, you know, more features, more security features. Uh, and that resulted in our launch in December, no, sorry, November of 2020. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And yeah, uh, I guess the the back your background in, in programming definitely allowed you to um, like put that idea uh, to to deploy deploy an international project, which is which is awesome. Um, another question that I had, uh, which is also uh, unrelated to like any specific concept, is um, I I read like your writing on on your personal website uh, about the subjective versus objective value, um, and and just other uh, theses that you that you have. Uh, how do you develop that sort of like critical thinking? I guess um, since like I guess it's really easy to go on Twitter, see what other people are talking about, and kind of assume like their opinion. Uh, how do you find it, or how do you uh, find those insights and? Um, like, I guess, stick with them. Um, yeah, like, I guess, like, you just need to see things for what they are instead of what people are telling you that, you know, they are. Uh, and then you just, you just, yeah, like, uh, I do have a bit of philosophy background. Like, I was very into philosophy, like, a while ago, like, uh, in high school. So, like, I, yeah, like, you just start from, like, some basic facts and principles, and you just kind of derive uh, from there, basically. Uh, but also, like, yeah, just, yeah, you just need to observe, like, the situation as it is. Uh, and, you know, kind of see through the bullshit and, you know, people who are incentivized to say what they say. Uh, and then, like, you just need to think really hard about it uh, and try to come up with, like, a cohesive framework for explaining, you know, what is currently happening and the kind of trend that you're observing with uh, the current situation. Yeah, and I guess putting it to writing or putting it into writing definitely helps with that too. Yeah, yeah, definitely helps. Like it helps you just figure out exactly what you want to say and helps you discover like the, the logical inconsistencies in your thinking. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, if you guys haven't read his his post, then I highly recommend um, I guess right now we can open up the floor to anybody that has any questions uh, for Zephram. So I guess you can just raise your hand and Nor will, Nor will bring you up. Um, Kyle, you should be able to speak. Awesome, great! I saw Zephram in here, and uh, it's 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 a it's a pleasure to finally get to know you. Uh, my online alias is Cal, but my name is Henry. Um, 
uh, friends with uh, Owen, and Owen spoke really, really highly of you, Zephram, like all day, every day. And uh, nice, awesome. Uh, yeah, no, wonderful, very, very insightful talk. First of all, uh, thanks to Blockchain Acceleration Foundation, Cam. Uh, you asked some really great questions. Um, yeah, I mean, like I, I see some people in the audience here. I think that are probably also pretty new to this space. Besides the resources that you put on there, for example, you said um, Meta Cartel, and also um, the other project that you're I wrote down. Um, I see, it's called uh, Lock as well. What other resources would you would you say uh, are out there as far as people want the, more literature to uh, if they want to build their own DAO? If you want to build your own DAO, um, I guess like the best way to do it is to learn more about it is to just like actually like go to a DAO's like Discord server and etc. Ask questions and you know see how things are organized, see what people are doing. Uh, because, like, as I said, the most successful uh, DAOs today are really just Discord servers or, you know, Telegram groups. Uh, and, like, if you, like, yeah, like, it doesn't make that much sense to look at, you know, say, what framework they're using, what they have on-chain. Uh, it just makes more sense to see, like exactly what the people are doing because you know the people is the most important in the DAO equation so uh, i know right masters at ucsd right you're wrapping up yes masters yep um and so are i know you guys have the blockchain at ucsd or i'm not too sure what you guys call it um have you guys yeah, been to right. student DAO at your university yeah we actually are um thinking about that but I definitely feel like our group is not experienced enough to, to do that yet. So our focus right now is more on the education side. So we run like an internal education program where we like train our own uh, or train the internal members um, to eventually uh, potentially create a DAO or uh, receive like governance delegation from, from our partners. But that's definitely in the books. I think it's just very early days for us. That's awesome. Yeah, because, um, you know, I'm, I'm the co-founder of a club on campus at Berkeley called DeFi at Berkeley. And we're now we're in discussion of, um, we're like doing the same thing, right? We're, we're providing a lot of education and, and a little bit separate than blockchain at Berkeley. Great organization, but they're extremely exclusive. They take like maybe about 10 to 12 students per semester and they, they get hundreds of applicants. So for us, what we decided to do was we wanted to make it more inclusive because instead of like, I'm, I'm sure you guys probably hear about the clubs at Berkeley. They're super competitive to get in and really cutthroat. And we wanted to be, be like, Hey, if you, as long as you're not a creep, we'll take you in. Right. And we want to educate you and give you the resources, provide the resources. And we've been able to create a really nice group of individuals. I mean, we built this during the middle of pandemic. So we want to be able to scale this more and probably bring on more funding. I'm thinking, or we're thinking maybe possibly a DAO would be a way where we could, raise more funding to uh, scale these educational efforts to educate more people on campus. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Zephram, have you heard about like the DAOs that are popping up like uh, for each school? Like there's Harvard's one coming out. Um, there's obviously Columbia's one. Um, do you have any, <laughs> any like input on that? Um, uh, I'm not sure about the DAOs, but I am like uh, pretty familiar with the blockchain at UCLA people. Like I'm friends with a lot of them. Uh, so like, like as I said, like I, I, I'm not really sure if having a DAO isn't necessary. Like uh, because like if you already have, you know, your group of people who are trying to do the same thing, like any kind of tooling is fine. Um, yeah, and uh, I think, like, a lot of blockchain clubs uh, right now are just, like, uh, instead of being their own DAO, they're, like, uh, getting uh, getting governance power delegated to them by, like, uh, other, like, by VCs and uh, other uh, groups. Uh, and, yeah, like, they're just voting in, you know, Aave, Compound, etc. governance. Uh, I think that's like a very big trend right now. Uh, but yeah, like I'm not sure about how 
much sense it makes for like blockchain clubs to have a DAO because well you're already a club like you can like it's not really decentralized uh, at all like do you really want like random people on the internet joining for instance so the idea for this was yeah. for yeah great first of all great insight uh, Zephram and Cam I like how refreshing it is Zephram how you mentioned how, uh, you know you don't have to necessarily DAO everything which is on a contrary view of what um um i'm sure you guys hear about koopa troopa he's just like doubt everything right but uh, i love your insights everyone on how you gave another uh, uh insight you may not necessarily do need to doubt everything so the idea of what we've been thinking about is more so necessarily outside of the but more so this whole student ran organization very similar to how columbia lion dow how's usc they have trojan dow and so um or we could because like for example like blockchain at berkeley they have their fundamentals of blockchain videos on youtube and anyone outside of the university could access them so what we're thinking was uh the governance you have to be a student in order you have to own be you have to own the tokens also be a student in order to have governance rights um and uh for as far as who wants to be part of it i think it could be not only it could be also alumni but also people around the world as well if they want to invest into it yeah, um, I think that, that definitely makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think it could still be more be explored more. Um, like in addition to capital, what what do DAO members actually like also contribute? But yeah, um, that's awesome. I think Kunal had a question too. Um, uh, hey, I'm Kunal. I had a question for Zephram. Uh, MPH is like a fixed interest rate lending, right? Uh, so, like, it's comparable to, like, Notion, but, like, you also give away your own token. Like, can you, like, explain it more? Uh, yeah, like, our, our model is very different from Notion's. Uh, Notion has basically kind of their own closed system where you have lenders and borrowers and the fixed interest really comes from the people who are borrowing from you. Uh, whereas for ADA and PH, uh, we do not directly do any kind of borrowing on our end. Uh, we only do lending uh, and we use protocols such as, you know, Aave, Compound, uh, Wire and others. Uh, in order to get a floating rate yield. And we basically, like, ADMPH is basically an intermediate for converting a floating rate yield into a fixed rate yield. And we can do this with, you know, pretty much any source of yield. So, yeah, that's, like, the main difference. So you're, you're only using Aave, then, for your floating rate? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, so you're only using Aave then for getting floating rate liquidity? Not not just Aave. Aave is one of the protocols that we use. We also compound, wire, and, and others. Oh, okay. Okay, it's just like a basket of uh, lending protocols. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Also, like, uh, you started in, like, DeFi as a developer, right? How much yes. of your role is still being a developer in, like, like right now yeah i'm i'm still very much developer like yeah like for admph i'm still like the main uh contract developer uh and like on the other projects that i'm working on i'm also like doing a lot of smart contracts because like it's just like really fun to do and mm -hmm. also uh if i may say so myself i'm very good at writing smart contracts Mm -hmm. uh, so, so how yeah. much of your role is like reading other smart contracts you know how much like just different protocols which come up with and you know like have you like do you do like bug bounties too or like that just takes up too much time no not really i like i mostly uh put my efforts into like just building cool things like uh, yeah i don't really do like audits or bug bounties uh okay. i see also love the reference to like from back to the future, right? That's in why it's eighty eight miles. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you mentioned that. <laughs> yeah, the UI is awesome. 
Yeah. Um, does anyone else want to? Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, uh... Kuno. Um, Zephram is one of the best developers, honestly. Like from what I hear from what, somebody that I really respect and look up to in this industry. Um, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, so just let's just letting you know whatever he's doing, he's top of the game. Mm-hmm. Respect. Um, does you, anyone sir. else have have a question for Zephram? You can raise your hand or um, put any emoji. Zephram, we, we need to get together and go get some hot pot soon with Owen. Yeah, for sure. Like soon, soon. I need to intro you to all the other um, blockchain peeps here at Berkeley. I think they will, they'll love you. Oh, I'm, I, I'll look forward to it. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess nobody else has any questions. Uh, yeah, obviously, we, there's a lot more questions that I'd love to ask you, but I don't want to keep you for too long. Um, just thank you so much for talking to us today. Uh, looking forward to talking to you in the future and potentially even in person if that's possible. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for coming. Uh, thank you for to Bath for, for making this possible. And um, obviously, uh, check out Zephram from twitter to his website to 88 mph uh, he has really really cool insights and awesome tweets so yeah i'm sure you're following him anyways though and don't forget to follow cam cam and uh blockchain uh don't forget to follow cam the, the cute face with the sunglasses everyone in blockchain uh celebration foundation Yes, sir. yeah thank you guys for coming also make sure to join us on discord and join our newsletter to see what we're up to. Thanks for everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Thank you so much.